don't know. Adam and I are reviewing the new Jean Grey issue this week, and uh, there's a bunch Ooh. of stuff there that I want to talk about. It was really good. Oh, it's, like, yeah. it's like a what if where, like, instead of Jean getting the Phoenix, Logan and Scott get the Phoenix, and uh, yeah, it's a good one. Louise Simon them. doing her thing. Oh, anyway. my favorite thruple. <laughs> there's some stuff about it. Anyway, um, getting focused back on this issue. <clears throat> Behold! The Sword of Power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're still in Hong Kong doing dinner and drinking in between crying in the rain and throwing emotional and physical knives at our friends in Excalibur number 111, Broken Vows, also featuring the hotly anticipated return of Rory Campbell. Excalibur number 111 was originally published in August 1997, and the creative team is Ben Robb on writing, Rob Stoltz on pencils, Scott Koblish on inks, Kevin Tinsley on colors, Richard Stark and Comicraft and Kif Scholl on letters, and Matt Idelson and Paul Tatrone on editing. I said there is nothing that can be done for me, and I would rather die honorably than spend an eternity damned in this place. Take care, my friends, and may God watch over you. Now prepare yourself, Mephisto, for you are about to face the might of the amazing Nightcrawler. Welcome back to Excala Chat. What can I say about this issue except I'm glad I don't have to face it alone. But who am I? I am, of course, the first of our regular co-hosts, Dr. Anna Papard. My bag's talking sexy, gendery stuff in comics and pop culture and sometimes podcasting for the better part of a day about Amanda Sefton, putting me quite at odds with the characters in today's comic who know her personally and yet somehow forgot she existed. I also get paid a little bit to be the co-project lead of Sequential Scholars and get paid nothing to be the unofficial PR manager of Amanda's <laughs> some-of-the-time boyfriend, Kurt Wagner, who still definitely needs better friends. Moving on, I am joined as always by Mav. How's your appetite this week? I quit. I, 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 you made a joke that this was the hotly anticipated return of Rory, and I will not be a party to this. I will not, I will not play into your little bit. I will not, uh, <laughs> even in jest, I think it's wrong and, and, and awful that you should toy with anyone's emotions. That, what if this is someone's first episode of the podcast and, they're, and then they're like listening and they're going, oh, I, I tune in for a good time for the hotly awaited return of some character, and then you're going to crush that poor person's dreams, and I and I, I won't have it. I say I will not have it. But <laughs> hi, <laughs> my name is my. I, name is I honor and appreciate your moral stand on this issue. That's Mom. right. <laughs> 
Uh, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. Uh, I am the co-host of this show and of another podcast called Vox Popcast. I'm a teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design who studies gender and sexuality and, co- and pop culture, especially comics and movies and stuff like that at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm the editor of a forthcoming collection called um, Batman Also Starring or Also Starring Batman. I'm, I'm still working on that from McFarland <laughs> Press. Uh, you yeah, know, I do stuff right now. I'm 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 podcasting about Excalibur rather than um, finishing up a, a, a presentation that I need to make about Spider-Man for the Spider-Man conference, which is as we tape in three days. <laughs> The, I'm, so, I'm sorry the spider-man conference what spider-man conference oh this is um the, this is a well a friend of the show and i uh, guess um jeff brown at university of bowling green hosts uh, a series of well okay he was hosting and then COVID happened so they were de- delayed for a while so the most recent one was the batman conference which was oh, several right. years ago yeah, now yeah, yeah. well this year is the spider-man conference um at bowling green university which you know i was gonna say you still have a chance to go to but it's literally as we tape it's friday so by the so it will have been two weeks ago by the time anybody hears this so like you you can't go but um yeah it's a it's a academic conference uh, about where every paper is about spider-man or spider-man related things so i'm doing that Uh, i'm the uh, opening speaker on friday nice so yeah no it's not nice because it's because it means i have to be up very early in the morning wow, wow. i mean it's great I, like i i'm happy to do it but like uh, you know they, and they were like well do you mind doing the first panel and i'm like yes <laughs> i don't like mornings but you know whatever i'll go it's fine jeff and i have never met in person despite the fact that we were supposed to meet in person on many occasions and then we've been so he's star-crossed really nice. either like he's sick or i'm sick well he's been on our pod before yeah yeah he's a very nice guy <laughs> Anyway, um, Andrew, are you hungry for some comic stock this week? I just ate a scallion pancake, but I am always game for dessert. Um, I actually learned about that conference from a colleague. They said, have you heard about the Spider-Man conference? And I was like, no. And I went and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, Mav is like the first speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm off topic. I'm Dr. J. Editor Matt, instructor at St. Jerome's University and co-project lead of Sequential Scholars. I'm very tired already this week and it's only Monday. Oh, Andrew, our grant's not due until Friday. You're going to have to hang in there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you're going to perk up once we get into chatting about this issue of a comic book <laughs> withholding adjectives we'll get into it um our loyal excala crew is accompanied this week by a fab excala fan who's eager to talk through this issue's sharp edged swings the pod is delighted to welcome chapman blake hello chapman hi there uh, i'm so excited to be here thank you all so much for having me um this is quite literally my favorite podcast so this is uh, a bit of a dream come true for me here Aw, that's so nice. See, I mean, I bet you improved Andrew's mood by 30% already. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, that's the typical way they describe me, is nice and disturbing. Wow. I'll take it. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a better bio um, that more accurately describes you. So here we go. Chapman Blake is an actor and fledgling comic scholar currently based in Dallas-Fort Worth. Some of his former credits include Judd Fry and the world premiere of the official concert of Oklahoma, the musical from the Rodgers and Hammerstein Foundation, as well as many Dallas-Fort Worth regional premiere performances such as Peter and the Starcatcher and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. His interest in comics has recently blossomed from a simple hobby 
into a full-blown passion for the world of comic scholarship, and he hopes to continue this pursuit by obtaining a sociology master's in the near future. Excited for Ooh, you. Thank you. Thank very you. It's a, it's a new kind of direction that I'm, I'm deciding to head with my life, and I'm very, very excited to, to start it. I kind of found my way into sociology and, and kind of by association, a little bit of philosophy as well, kind of over the past couple months in the past, past year or so, really. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking for other avenues to, to flex my creative yet mostly academic muscles. So here we Love are. It. I, I will recommend to you the Pop Culture Association of, of America, which, which is where I got my start. <laughs> and also Gateway Drug. If you, um, <laughs> the way you're right, the, the way you're going, very, very dangerous. You know, one one just like starts writing a paper here and there. It's like, maybe I'll just go get a master's. And the next thing you know, <laughs> you're, you're like in year five and studying for comps. And you're like this. I hate my life. This is not, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> not what I thought it was going to be. Well, We've all been there. The listener. The listeners at home should be happy to hear then that they're hearing the the sort of beginnings of a, of a possibly tumultuous love affair uh, beginning here today. Oh my God. So romantic. Romances with comic scholarship are my favorite romances. <laughs> and we certainly got some romances to talk about in today's comic. Uh, we'll we get do. to that. But um, first, let's let's do some let's do some more origin story stuff with you, Chapman. Like I, I you said you've been on this journey and you're getting kind of more into comics. So yeah, tell me about that. What what has that journey been? What was the origin of it? When did you first start getting into funny books? Yeah. So um, in terms of kind of my my comics origin, it's it's a pretty long winded path to get there. Finally, I was kind of I was part of the generation that was kind of left behind in the post comics bubble burst, um, but pre MCU kind of omnibus push that was the early two thousands. And so there was a lot of uh, for a lot of my life there was. Uh, kind of an intangibility to the single issue comic. Um, I grew up in a landscape as well, where a lot of the kind of superhero media of the time and the the stuff I was getting to watch as reruns was a lot of like teenager focused stuff. So like, for example, I had the Raimi trilogy wrap up with uh, obviously Venom as the big bad when I was like six years old, which is one of my first kind of big introductions to it. And so seeing those commercials and for context i was i was a kid with a huge imagination i would see one halloween episode of a show and i would have nightmares for weeks and weeks and weeks after (laughs) just because my brain would be like well this is fun new fodder to throw into a dream here so i had yeah i had venom kind of pop up on my tv at an early age i had uh the big two were kind of doing final crisis and civil war when i was around seven so a lot of the the storylines in the comics were kind of adult focused or at least more adult oriented i would say and then you've also got mm-hmm. stuff like the mcu debuting iron man and, and kind of incredible hulk i guess we'll toss in there then those as, as much as the mcu has kind of blossomed obviously and sure we all know when it sort of came up and about when i was a kid it was sort of that ultimate universe inspired very militaristic feel yeah. and then even the other marvel movies were had things like like nick cage's ghost rider or the silver surfer in the second fantastic four movie so a lot of these uh materials were just very kind of teenager coded in a way to my brain i was very much like well these are cool mm-hmm. concepts but I'm terrified every time one of these commercials comes on. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of, I got the exception of uh, uh, going to see The Dark Knight in theaters. I, I just turned nine um, and I was kind of getting to get to go into my first kind of big kid. I think it might've even been my first R-rated movie. And so that was kind of 
it took about until then to really kind of dip into the world of like larger superhero media. And that's not to say that I wasn't aware of them in other ways. I had shows like Teen Titans and, and even Crypto the Super Dog that I really loved as a kid. I had, I even had uh, some, some hidden gems like Bible Man, if anyone is familiar. Um, <laughs> highly recommend The Adventures of Bible Man. I, I'd say facetiously. Uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely had kind of other superheroes in my life, but not a lot of them were really kind of the Marvel based, like the canon that you would expect. Um, it really wasn't, and especially I was kind of separate from the X-Men themselves. Um, and it wasn't until I played uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, uh, the first two oh. games. Those oh, are, uh, great games. Incredible really games. They're so good. Yeah. And if, if anyone at home doesn't know the plot of the first one in particular, those games are absolutely brutal towards the X-Men. I mean, like... I, so mm-hmm. obviously it's a it's a beat-em-up game. There's different levels that are, have different stories. And the X-Men story is that... Uh, Jean Grey and Nightcrawler have been kidnapped by Mephisto. Uh, you fight your way through Mephisto's lair or Mephisto's realm, and you are given a choice to either save Jean or Nightcrawler. And as a little kid, my brain kind of automatically was like, well, there's a cool blue guy with a tail who can teleport, and there's a lady <laughs> without a code name. So I think I'm going to pick the guy who can teleport. Just, you know, my little, my, my kid brain kind of attaching onto the the more freakish character. Uh, and essentially, if you let Jean die, the Dark Phoenix saga occurs. And if you let Kurt die, uh, Mystique tries to kill Charles and the X-Men permanently disband. So regardless of your choices in this game, <laughs> oh my God. the X-Men have an absolutely brutal time. Um, and, Anna, and have you never played this them. game? Have you never heard of this? I- I, I actually have played this game and I do not remember this plot at all. I'm 100% sure I owned that game and yet I have no oh, memory of yeah. the plot. Ultimate Alliance is dark. <laughs> and it comes after, it's Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2, just as a, those are actually games 3 and 4 in the sequence because there were two X-Men games that are in the same universe that had already happened. So you're essentially just just killing off the original protagonists for for this series in these books. Oh yeah, in, in I was, these, in these I was, games. I was so into the Legends games. I mean, I liked those yeah. better. I think I, I think I didn't play much of Ultimate Alliance because like it was just a little bit different than the Legends games, and I didn't really mm-hmm. like glom onto it as much. But that's wild. I completely forgot about that plot. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> it's it's something, especially as like a at the time. I want to say I was, I was playing with you my brother, right. so I'm like six or seven when oh, it's coming oh out God. the first time, and so I'm <laughs> so I'm going through like, oh, I love these these little mutant guys. They're so fun, and they're they're you know they're also they have such crazy powers. I'm playing as like Wolverine and Iceman, and all of a sudden <laughs> you get to this level where you're like, all right, one of them has to die, buddy. Which one are you gonna pick? Oh my God! <laughs> Which one is it? So there was there was definitely that kind of. That kind of moment as a kid, as, as much as it kind of scarred me, it also made me immediately go, who are these characters? Who are these people that just like, they don't get a happy ending? And mm-hmm. the other levels are something like Atlantis is saved or or we even go and uh, like fix Lalandra and give her back the crown and the X-Men are just kind of decimated regardless. So it kind of, it, oh it sparked this kind of first initial special interest. And it got me into things like uh, finding uh, the upcoming uh, Wolverine and the X-Men series at the time, because that was kind of mine. My bread and butter, I was a little too uh, young for Evolution when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I even, I finally got my hands on the X Trilogy, obviously, which I, I, I ordered them all from Blockbuster and spent a whole weekend watching them. Uh, and I, I kind of fell in love with all these different characters and all these different takes. I, uh, I'm i a huge fan of Alan Cumming from, from multiple uh, kind of ways. Uh, I was a huge Spy Kids fan, so kind of seeing him fully oh, yeah. flip the script in this one was absolutely wild. And then um, I kind of, I... I 
I ended up taking that love to uh, go on the internet and go to, I think it was something like marveldatabase.com or something at the time. And like in 2006, 2007, I was, uh, I was jumping on and basically trying to find all of the different bios and stuff I could read without actually knowing to look for comics in any type of uh, websites yeah. at all. Cause I, at this point, I, again, like I, I had seen these bios where it's featuring these first issues. So these, they kind of seem like these like older unobtainable things to get. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until we eventually got to COVID and that's kind of my like final, final chapter of my origin, so to speak. I, uh, oh, at that okay. point I had been, uh, uh, we hit COVID. I'm in my uh, sophomore year of college and it's been many, many years since I picked up a comic, but I am about four years into a Marvel Strike Force addiction at this point. Uh, and <laughs> I had kind of fostered my love of X-Men through that and getting to upgrade those characters. They were always the ones that I was most excited for because I was getting to see how their powers would be adapted. Um, and at that point, I see an ad for Marvel Unlimited. Um, and I tried like Comixology on my iPod Touch or something like that uh, and didn't particularly enjoy it just because reading one panel at a time exclusively is pretty difficult. Um, but at this point, I had, yeah. a, I want to say, an iPad for school, uh, which is a much better way to read, I feel, uh, if you're not having a, a laptop or something. Um, and from that point, I kind of, I had a whole bunch of time on my hand because my classes had all gone digital. Um, and I thought, you know, I've, I've always loved the X-Men. I've always kind of been drawn to them. I had this passion for them when I was younger. Let's pick them up and see what they're about. I, I started off with a, a shorter kind of, let's hit the main beats read through. And as I started going through that, I realized... I would, there was these uh, variations on the original material. You get like the 2007 first class material mm -hmm. that also kind of slots in there time-wise. You've got all the way that goes up to like 2011, I think. And then you've got uh, different things like the John Byrne's Hidden Years and all these things. So I'm sitting here going like, okay, I'm reading all these things, but if I'm really going to go back and I, I do want to eventually kind of read all of it, it's kind of, it seems like a fun idea. Like, I don't know how I'm going to convince myself to want to go back to this time period after catching up to the sort of modern era and wanting to explore their niches. So it eventually led me to finding kind of the most thorough read through or thorough guide I could find. I'm using uh, Crushing Crisis's definitive X-Men nice. reading order guide, if anyone is familiar. Yeah. He is uh, he's mm -hmm. a dream to talk to. I've, I've chatted to him a, a couple of times and his, his work is fantastic. Oh, he's super, 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 super nice. And uh, I also, I use the, the comic book reading orders for different events as they pop up as I'll try to, I'll try to read through different line-wide events that contain the X-Men and other X titles. Like I'll read through things like Secret Wars or the Infinity Trilogy, all different, all the different parts. Um, there's a couple others that things with like Spider-Man and, and Daredevil fighting Kingpin. I'll be like, okay, cool. Let's read a quick summary and note it. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's led me to where I am now. I've, uh, I've now gone through, last time I did a count on it i'm at 2404 issues read uh which is pretty much everything from september 63 uh with the first comic all the way to i stopped around june of 1997 in preparation for this just because oh the flashback God. issues yeah. came in and it was kind of hard to figure out where they went so i just kind of backed away from uh Operation Zero Tolerance kind of on the other side of this um, <laughs> and use that as kind of my break point. But yeah, that's kind of, that's been my my routine. I, I use different playlists that kind of fit each series as I go because oh. I'm reading through all the different X titles. So uh, Excalibur is a is a lovely 90s Brit pop rock playlist. Oh. a lot of Oasis. Uh, it's fun to just kind of, I really try to inundate myself with the period and, and uh, the time period and really kind of put myself in the shoes of a first time reader going through sort of an, an itch instilled in my brain from all of those video games of, of getting that 100% completion, uh, <laughs> finding all those collectibles and such. Uh, it's kind of led me on this big, big wild goose chase. 
so yeah, that's kind of my comics origin. I'm uh, I'm plucking along, and that's where I'm at. The sad oh part God. is when you're done, no one gives you a PlayStation badge at the end. I I, I just I don't mean to. There's no trophies. Oh I, I, I don't want to ruin it for you. Math throughout this podcast, you've been, you've been trying to dissuade Chapman, and I'm encouraging him. Keep going. I no no no. I'm make, I'm 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 setting his expectations. I wish someone. To, I think you should. I I think that being. I've said this before. I think I've said it on this show before. Being a comic scholar, the fact that this is my actual job is dumb and I stupid know. and a dream come true, right? So, so like I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean it to be discouraging at all. The fact that someone cares enough to allow me to like literally, I have made a career out of watching movies, reading comic books, and talking about porn. So, like, <laughs> like that's my actual job, and now someone actually pays me to get other people into those things that's weird so i don't want to you know i don't want to dissuade anybody follow your dreams kids (laughs) 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 oh man well yeah i'm really i'm eager to hear your because i mean it's so rare that we have well no that's not true we have a lot of people that have like encountered the issue at hand for the first time but like you've had this experience of kind of going through the run you know issue by issue so relatively recently so i'm yeah i really want to get your impressions of the of the comic at hand so let's do the issue summary and i'll come right back to you for it and <laughs> see what you no, made of this it. one <laughs> i you know i made i made something of it <laughs> great great yeah there's some stuff i want to talk about for sure i uh anyway anyway let's do the summary and we'll come right back to you so i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod we definitely wouldn't immediately try to kill you with hot knives if you were possessed by a demon totally against your will through no fault of your own just to prove how very thoughtful we are here's a plot summary i'm gonna go hard on on wisdom in this episode in case oh oh yeah that's yeah. it <laughs> not, not a good it's not a good time. issue for him. yeah <laughs> We open still in Hong Kong in the wake of Excalibur's battle against the Cribs of Dawn, the depowered Brian's departure from the team. While Megan said at the time she was good with it, she's clearly in deep mourning for her missing bow. There's no waterfall to sit in while she despondently grieves, but a torrential downpour will do in a pinch. She considers tossing away her engagement ring until Piotr talks her out of it and does his best to comfort her, assuring her nothing can keep her and Brian apart wink. Later, the heroes meet up with their old friend, Dr. Rory Campbell, who is now fitted with a prosthetic leg and is working for Shaw Industries. That's right, that Shaw from the Hellfire Club, who also happens to own the luxurious headquarters in which Excalibur currently find themselves headquartered. In a thought bubble, Rory reminds us of stuff from other comics, notably the fact he sold info about the legacy virus to Sebastian Shaw to get his new leg. Kurt is understandably anxious about the Shaw connection and asks Pete Wisdom to do some investigating. While Rory takes the ladies shopping, Pete heads to the basement to do some hacking, but gets waylaid by a video email from his associate Jardine in which Jardine gives him some mysterious info about the jig being up and how he should head to Germany before being graphically murdered. At dinner, Rory asks where Amanda Sefton is, which reminds brain genius Piotr Rasputin that he forgot to tell Kurt she quit the team and broke up with him like a week ago. Kurt is once again understandably perplexed by this news, but before we can dig into that, Kitty gets possessed by her old buddy Ogan, who wants to use her body to bring himself back to life, I think. Uh, Pete Wisdom immediately tries to kill her with hot knives then wins the ensuing fight by threatening to kill Kitty's body again, which scares Ogan enough that he takes off, bringing Kitty back 
back to herself. The next day, the team splits up. Kitty and Rain head back to Mirror Island. Kurt and Wisdom head to Germany to look for Amanda and go clubbing. And Piotr and Megan head to Paris for a holiday? But en route, our holiday goers realize their pilot has switched course, and when they head to the cockpit to investigate, they find said pilot bedecked with bombs, which subsequently explode the plane. Cliffhanger. All right, Chapman, coming right back to you for it. Anything that particularly intrigued you, baffled you, interested you anything else about this issue that you want to talk about right off the top well you know in cracking it open for the first time and not not even opening it for the first time i i saw the cover and my honest to god first thought was that the optimist in me really wants to believe that there is somebody in the x office of 1997 and they after extensive planning they have realized that this time august of 1997 is the perfect opportunity to bring back the legendary adversary that is Ogin. And I think we all know that that's probably not what happened. <laughs> I think <laughs> that we all know that I, th- I, I, it seems, I don't know, I did a little bit of research. It seems like maybe they're going for a sort of Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero uh, push with the games coming out at the same time. Yeah. But I feel like some executive at the off- in the office said, you know what, Katie Pride and Wolverine did some pretty decent numbers. I think if we throw that... A uh, little ghost ninja guy back into some comics. Maybe we toss it on that that whatever that X comic is at the end. Uh, then you know what? Maybe we can maybe we can boost these sales, get us through this little rough patch financially. Um, so that was kind of my big my big uh, first thought there. My other one, as we kind of dug through the issue as we're going through, is that it is it's astounding to me that Rab sets himself up with a really iconic premise. You've got a group of friends. You've got a big secret coming out at dinner. You've got the potential here, I mean, I, if we can, I'm just thinking of the different scenes in media and movies and plays and, and all this, uh, all these sort of uh, mediums we have, so many amazing scenes take place with just a bunch of people getting upset because the truth has come out over dinner. Yeah. And Rab has, has the characters, granted he does some stuff to justify the characters being in this place a little questionably, like Piotr letting that week go by is maybe a little questionable. <laughs> but then you also have some characters like Kurt who has clearly, at least since he's buzzed his head and really taken this sort of serious leadership role as a, as, as a sort of, main calling point for his his leadership in this era i i think you've got him in a place where even though kurt of uh, even though the dave cockrum kurt might not have gotten upset about this modern kurt uh, uh, in the year 1997 is not the most chill of men he's not terrible obviously but this is a pretty pretty big piece of news to be getting and then instead of that instead of this potentially really great setup we have we get eight pages of a fight where not a single person knows how kitty can phase we've got like the yeah. three pages of cliffhanger that i, I don't, i'm not a i'm not a comics author so i don't want to kind of step on toes but i i would say that maybe that cliffhanger could have been down to a, a page or a page and a half i think we get the five pages of, of the shopping and spying which is you know something it's something going on it's a brand new rory brand spanking new but he's here yeah and then you got four pages of, of, in my opinion, the kind of only other plot point that I was 
at least remotely willing to kind of pull away from in comparison to the, the final drop of this big bomb of of news with with Amanda having left out of the blue, uh, which is the the uh, uh, Megan and Colossus little uh, hintings of a, of a new love triangle or a possible kind of may, a, a subtle hint of maybe infidelity on the horizon, which I, I have no idea where it goes or if it goes anywhere, but it seemed to be the most kind of shocking thing for me uh, at, at the very least. And it's, it's especially surprising considering how historically Excalibur is uh, in terms of doing really well done uh, domestic sequences uh, with superheroes. I know it's it's been a while, and I, I don't want to compare it back to Claremont because it's not our author anymore. And I I don't want to as as a student of the podcast. I know we want to we want to let our <laughs> authors kind of have the ability to free reign it. Um, I just feel like he he free reigns it to a point where he really could have really could have let himself go off with this, and then kind of pivots to our good old friend Ogan Ninja Ghost. Ninja Ghost Man. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my first thoughts. It's it's a, a little bit of a an, an alley with no oop, uh, should I say? Ooh, nicely done. Yeah, that as you were sort of describing it, I was like, it sort of made some of it fall into place for me a little bit because I was like, oh, I get what this is. It's sort of like a writer who's not confident in his own writing because, as you said, he sets up this great kind of domestic dinner party thing in which all of these sort of emotions and everything could come out, and then he's like, no, I'm gonna throw the Ninja Ghost in there and kind of sidestep that because he's not confident enough in that premise i mean those it's the limitation of the genre too an editor will tell you we need a fight scene mm-hmm. we can't just do this i mean it takes a writer with some clout to be able to do the quiet issue sometimes but but yeah still it is it is funny how quickly it sort of reneges on that you know a premise that could have been really solid of the team kind of unpacking their mm-hmm. their ongoing emotional conflicts at this dinner but um i don't let me I pick up some first yeah go ahead go ahead oh, i think even from the impression of of we have the opportunity to use Kitty as a a much more interesting foil if we're going to have her piloted by Ogan, in which we can have yeah. that sort of. I, I think back to the the car commercial from I want to say it's like 2008 in the Super Bowl, but it was the uh, it's stuck in my brain because it's the couple who are wanting to drive the the Subaru or whatever it is in the driveway, and so they've set up these elaborate traps to kind of kill each other. Uh, as they prepare their day for work and i'm like well there's a fan i know there's at least some form of structure in which you can use the uh, whole we've got a dangerous entity but no one really knows to pay attention i think there's could be some great gags there that i just don't think rav really has the the at least the comedic timing and the kind of dramatic dialogue capacity to really kind of go for gold there yeah and i mean we already had the kitty possession story when we had the soul swords trilogy right but i mean yeah we could have done a mr and mrs smith thing with like kitty and pete here that could have been more interesting than what we had in which you know kitty has no agency and is just a body in this comic but uh (laughs) anyway um andrew let me pick up some first impressions from you how how angry or excited are you about this one (laughs) okay so so I'll be positive. I, I, I think one of the things that's aligning really nicely is the artwork and the sort of more domestic themes of the story. So I kind of enjoyed that as a contrast, even though there's mm-hmm. some images that I would call aggressively not good. <laughs> but I thought seeing Excalibur in that style was kind of interesting to me. Like I, I enjoyed that for comparison. Sake. I liked some um, of the outfits that people choose for dinner. I was like, if yeah, I'm going to say something yeah. positive about it, that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then um, maybe related to what Chapman was saying, I, I, I find that a lot of the balls are dropped in terms of writing. There's a lot of like like really weird mistakes and choices that just seem like they don't really go anywhere. Highlighted by the thing you already mentioned, um, and I'm quoting the dialogue directly here, but I would also point out that I wrote this when I was eight. Uh, quote: No, stay back, not you. Arg, and then the head explodes. 
<laughs> everyone wrote that when they were eight. You know what I mean? Like everyone staged that at recess at some point. Oh and God. the only thing that made that really tolerable for me was, was hearing it in the voice of Alan Tudyk as Wash from Firefly. Aww. <laughs> god <laughs> well thank you for that <laughs> yes <laughs> mav how are you feeling i took the liberty of making a list of people that kurt knows who he can borrow a plane from on less than seven days notice oh my god did you actually make a list <laughs> oh yes so we have we have all the x-men i won't name them by i, I won't yeah. name them all at a time um professor xavier not available right now because we're post onslaught but you know storm scott gene they'll answer the phone if kurt calls the avengers currently dead or you know in another universe but jarvis established as being around if kurt calls hi it's nightcrawler we're stuck in hong kong can i maybe get a plane here in you know sometime in the next eight days the fantastic four same thing he is friends with franklin richards more importantly kitty is very good friends with franklin richards at this time and franklin is established as controlling the ff estate at this time in comics forged x factor really good friends with uh, with everybody um on this team nick fury okay might be hard you know nick you can sometimes get in touch with it or not mi6 black air and all of british intelligence could have called at any point moira mctaggart your roommate owns a plane brian braddock is megan's fiance and he left her in Hong Kong with no way to get home. She, I mean, They've been living together for quite some time. Apparently, she doesn't have access to any of his many, many planes or a bank account or, you know, like ways to get home <laughs> in eight, seven to eight days. It's like, been a week. They've been trapped like in Brian Hong Kong, but they're just, just sitting, sitting. went like, how did Brian go on his little sojourn? He Presumably, just he took away. a plane. Yeah. <laughs> he can't fly anymore. So presumably, then, Brian found a way out. And then he just and left like, everybody there with like no and, means to get home. Yes, and I and I and I and I understand. It seems like I'm harping on a little detail, but as will become apparent throughout this this podcast, it is the thing that stuck out to me most for every other decision in this entire 22 pages 22 24 pages is colored for me by the fact of but why are they there it's been a week <laughs> it's been a week that they've just been bumming around hong kong and then the first person they can think to call well rory maybe really <laughs> Rory Campbell. <laughs> That's where I'm at with this, and it, and it just colors my ability to understand to to enjoy anything else about this. I have questions about like the logic of Chapman. You you already referred to it. The logic of everything Ogan related in this. I have questions about the logic of. Well, there's there's plenty of questions there to be had. Right. It's the logic of Kitty and 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 Pete's relationship to each other i have questions about <laughs> i have so many questions about what's going on between brian and megan because it's logically and 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 you know what megan in and of herself like like there's everything about this i'm just like why are we here why how have we gotten to this point because i actually didn't hate the last issue you know we talked about it it no, wasn't yeah. it wasn't the best thing ever but i thought hey that was interesting and this i'm just like what are what are we even doing here? And and it annoyed me because I was thinking, what are we even doing here from like a you know a non-diegetic writing point of view? And then every time I thought that, I was like, but wait, why are we still in Hong Kong? 
like that makes no sense. No. <laughs> like the, so so that's where that's where where I'm at with this issue. Is it like <laughs> why are we in Hong Kong is a metaphor for everything that I feel about this entire issue. I've always thought that that Brian leaving thing was weird just because of that because I'm like where does he go? How does he go there? Like why is it so important to his journey that Megan can't contact him at all? It's odd. It's very odd. Yeah. His they, journey they, is okay. that important, but it's not important enough to warrant anything except for an editor's note that lets you know that he's gone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, on foot because he can't fly anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but so so I assume he took a plane and just left yeah. them there. It is odd and uh, okay. lends further credence to I don't know whatever. I almost don't want to talk about the Megan thing because it's like sort of like a repeat of a bunch of we need to behavior no we need to past it, issues. No, I think it's worse yeah. actually. I think it's it's very specifically yeah. worse than anything that she's done. I mean, I can do it now if you want to do it quick. Um, yeah, sure. It makes no sense because, like, he gave her the out. And I understand how stupid it was last issue. But it's like, you know, if you don't want to wait for me to go and, like, become worthy of you, I understand if you need to move on. Uh, but I've, I've just got to do this. And I understand that it's not as deep as Rob wanted it to be. But I understand the story that we were trying to do last issue. And she says, no, no, I love you. I will wait forever. And then she leaves. And then literally the next time we see her, because, again, that's she's how we closed out last issue was with them kissing and then the next time we see her fuck brian i'm throwing our ring off the uh, off the yeah. <laughs> off the building what's going on like like it's literally been like if i'm reading this in a trade that's the next page she went from kissing him and saying like i can wait to she's ready to hurl her engagement ring which she just got off a building also it's only been a week like i mean it like yes absence is sad when you're trying to, you know, you're in that honeymoon period. I, I get how you don't want this, but he's not dead. He was lost in the time stream, you know, last year for you. So, you know, you can handle a week and, and it just makes her feel weak and stupid. <laughs> I don't want her to feel weak and stupid. Chapman, you said something, you know, I mean, again, I, I've said it many times on the, on the show. I want to give a writer a, a chance to establish the characters in his own voice, but this does, this is not contradicting Claremont. This is not contradicting Davis. This is not contradicting, contradicting Labdell. This is Ben Rob contradicting Ben Rob from last freaking issue. Yeah, yeah. And that irritates me because like do narrative consistency with yourself, if nothing else. You don't need to match Warren Ellis. Match yourself from literally a page ago. And it, I find that infuriating. Yeah, and why are we like in I'm, Hong Kong? I feel like I'm just sort of like led to believe, you know, like, oh, well, she has volatile emotions because woman. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I I guess I I, I think it's supposed to be more than that. It's but it doesn't feel like it. I mean, we've seen this with Rob that that that's what women are. They're they're sexy bundles of out of control emotions. Rain is shopping girl. This issue. That's her whole thing. Sure. That seems like. That Likely. seems like rain. Yeah. <laughs> we had one we had one shopping character beat, and now that will be her whole characterization, I assume, for the rest of Rab's run. Yeah, that's a bit um, unfortunate for her. But um well, I, I mean, let me come let me come back to you for it, Chapman, because I think you were saying in some of some of our talking before the pod that you possibly have a more sympathetic reading of the Brian and Megan relationship than some of us do. And this is a very safe space to, to air those thoughts. I promise <laughs> you, despite our continuous sure. gripes about it, but like, yeah, if you've got thoughts about this relationship, I mean, as someone reading through this series for the first time, like, are you invested in that relationship between Brian and Megan? You know, I think it's, I think it took me quite a while to really figure out my handle on the relationship where I kind of mm-hmm. thought it was going 
what I interpreted from these things. Because obviously coming from an acting perspective, there's a lot of choices you kind of have to make um, as an actor on your own. And they get discussed uh, at various points throughout the rehearsal process, but there is very much a kind of uh, a kind of personal interpretation you have to put, or at least the understanding that the character has that you have to kind of get at. And I think for me personally, I couldn't figure out this relationship period up until uh, a couple months ago. I actually, I had my grandfather, uh, he passed away and he, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, but he, um, seeing kind of, uh, him towards the end of his life and seeing the relationship between my grandfather and my grandmother was particularly eye-opening. I saw, cause he uh, struggled with a few things towards the end and, uh, struggled with some lucidity issues. Um, and we had some, uh, we kind of got him at a, at a way more open place than he had really been being a, um, a sort of upstanding stoic uh, Kentucky man. And he, one of the things he talked about almost exclusively was how the best, uh, towards the end of his life, was how the best thing in his entire life had been my grandmother, had been his wife. Um, and this had come after uh, a little bit of our family history. He had um, he had actually uh, left my, my grandmother and my dad and his siblings. Uh, when my dad was in second grade, he actually, he, he left the family, they got divorced. And he ended up coming back uh, for my uh, during my dad's junior year, I believe. And during that time, we as a family, we kind of we pieced some stuff together. He talked about some different stuff, but we'd really never known the whole story. Um, and he talked about how he uh, sort of near the end of his life, in this kind of period of, of lacking that lucidity, he ended up talking a bit more uh, with my dad and his brother about specifically what had happened. Then he had actually had gone off, and he had had a, a relationship with a, another woman, and and uh, had come back uh, after that had ended. And seeing the ways in which him having done that to my grandmother and also the ways in which their relationship still to the very end from that point on strengthened in a way because of it and i don't want to sit here and be like oh well, all relationships need to have uh, tumultuous times of separation in order to gain strong <laughs> that's that's not at all what i'm saying but um, yeah, yeah. i think that there is a a very specific lens to be put or to put on the uh, on the couple of, of brian and megan at least in my opinion of they very much represent to me a uh, sort of greatest generation baby boomer era relationship and especially kind of uh, as readers in which we know because um, i obviously am not caught up on the modern stuff but i know that they're still together and i believe they have a, a child together um, mm -hmm. and their relationship has seemingly i mean from from the characterization that i've seen brian seems to be as Catherine avalon kind of number one wife guy his wife is kind of has become a very important thing to him, in, especially in comparison to early uh, Excalibur, where he's cheating. And yeah. I think that I think the biggest connection to me was seeing how the functions of their relationship, both with him leaving and how that kind of echoed in, in a very, very, very um, sort of weak analogy, uh, so to speak, but still kind of kind of connected in my brain a bit. Um, but just the ways that he kind of left and had to go and experience sort of the harshness of the real world, quote unquote, and had to go experience a world in which he didn't have kind of the love of, of a partner who was kind of there for him through it all. And how he, uh, similar to Brian, kind of experiencing all of what humanity in the world kind of uh, has to offer, both in terms of good and bad, because I assume uh, if Brian is seeing the, the extent uh, of the world in the time stream multiple times, then he's obviously going through a very traumatic event on top of the trauma that he had uh, at the beginning of the series. And I think that there's something to be said about the ways that it is not obviously the healthiest relationship. It's not obviously 
the most idyllic relationship, especially from Megan's point of view. But I think it's an important aspect of representation for those relationships that, at least for a lot of people in my generation, are our grandparents. And we we have all these mm-hmm. discussions of of things like age gaps and things like uh, power dynamics in early relationships. And that wasn't necessarily their uh, issue. There was a, they were actually the same age, but that still kind of factors into all of it in a lot of ways. And I think that there is a, it, it, this couple became important to me on the grounds of, I think that there is a, a kind of a missing place for the representation of, here's a couple who have had some extreme up and downs. Here's a guy who is completely fucked up and <laughs> he's doing everything he can and has seen how awful the world can be without his partner and realizes, well, I really shit the bed here, folks. I've got to, I've got to do everything I can to be wife guy, to really show her that I love her and that I, I, I'm wanting to come back and kind of reunify this relationship and make it to the kind of point where, as most of us see today, the, these relationships with our grandparents are, are, are long-winded and have, have tumultuous histories, but still could, uh, and in uh, some cases do turn out to be healthy relationships years down the line once that work has been done. And I think that doesn't erase, like I said, the problematic elements, but I think it honestly, it makes it more important that we see Megan's perspective within this moment. And we see, okay, now that he's really kind of come back and committed, why doesn't she just walk away? Why doesn't she just think that it's all right to kind of attach on to the next man? Because I, as much as I see kind of her initiating aspects of this new sort of relationship with Colossus, I think that I also see an element of, uh, I mean, we all know that Colossus historically, when in a room with an empath, uh, is probably going to cheat on his partner or cause that partner to (laughs) cheat, as we learned in Secret Wars. Mm -hmm. The man has has a little too much romance in his bones. That that poet's soul is a bit Mm. too strong, I feel. (laughs) Um, But I think that's also kind of an important aspect of we need to see more. If this story is really going to live up to that representation that I'm wanting to see, we need to see more of her perspective. We need to see a, a healthy, not kind of condescending version of the story of my partner fucked up and I decided to take them back. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm swearing a lot on this. I don't know if that's allowed or not. That's, <laughs> that's allowed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my, uh, my partner is really messed up in this moment and I am choosing to forgive them. And what does that look like? And what does that look like in a fair, restorative manner as opposed to just kind of the version of that story I feel like we always see, which is just sort of a oh, she decided to take him back. Well, good for her. Let's move on and kind of not really address any of the actual issues that are still present past that return kind of point. Um, and I think that there's also, there's there's kind of even more elements of headcanon that I add on to it. I actually, uh, Megan is one of the characters that I view, uh, at least in terms of my headcanon and, and her behaviors and such as possibly being uh, on the spectrum. She reminds me of myself a lot in the ways that she uses TV and has used uh, TV and other media growing up to kind of supplement that knowledge and that learning that a lot of autistic people kind of lack in different ways because of different reasons and such. I very much was someone who kind of built all of these experiences up to be a certain thing because of how they looked on TV and the movies and built up Brian as this uh, true love. And so of course that he's leaving and I really kind of feel the effects on that. I'm going to go to the most melodramatic place possible. And that could even kind of work to explain some of her some of her behaviors coming from that perspective of, well, this is how you process your feelings. You go out and you let the rain, you you play some Kelly Clarkson in your head, you let the rain fall down and wash away. Um, and you wait till a handsome man comes up and tells you not to throw away your presumably very expensive uh, engagement ring. So yeah, I, I think there's, I think there's, I, I'll definitely, I'll go to bat any day. I know you said it was a safe space, but I'm getting here uh, ready, ready to throw hands over this, over this, uh, 
kind of read through of this relationship just because it is, yeah, it has become such a very kind of personal uh, interpretation for me. And it's obviously not uh, objective and anything like that. Uh, but it doesn't have it's to kind be. of my two cents on the, on the, on the take. I love it. I love someone coming in with a new take. I mean, part of the reason why we like getting new perspectives on the pod and like including people who haven't read the series before is because otherwise it would just be us rehearsing our same complaints yeah. about it all the time. <laughs> I will say so I appreciate for, that. For, for, for everything you've said, Chapman, about, you know, you're starting your academic journey. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, you feeling like not ready for this at the beginning of the podcast or maybe it was off air. That was an excellent reparative reading. <laughs> that was, really was one of really the was. best that i've heard and like a like i mean you said does it it's your take yeah that's the point do i have to agree with everything no excellent job like i bought it i bought yeah that that absolutely is a reasonable argument for how maybe this doesn't suck as much as it might appear to at first glance so, good job. Chapman, I'm, been, I'm happy know, to give you the wrote a better comics badge. We haven't said that yes. for a few episodes <laughs> at least. So that, that, is should, a, that should be the, the badge we give away. The reparative <laughs> reading muscle is one that I flex uh, quite a bit uh, in my read throughs, just as someone who is getting the full continuity. There's plenty of moments where I'm like, well, there's no way that could happen physically. So sad. <laughs> something else happened there. Uh, or, there's no way that could, logistically that makes no sense. So maybe the, someone's wrong. Maybe someone's wrong about the day that they went on this mission. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the, the Kitty and Pete of it all, because I said I wanted to go hard on Pete a little bit here. And funnily, at the time of this recording, we have Ogan back in Kitty's life as an inspiration for her current kind of uh, murdery ninja journey that she's undergoing in the is, current comics is that the yeah. reason the uh the shadow cat costume has returned i didn't realize mm -hmm. um well sort of i mean it's in more intentional than that but yes gotcha yeah like ogan did, ogan did make an appearance uh to be i believe proud of kitty's uh journey into murdery ninjadom so anyway <laughs> I feel like that's like spoilery. And I was like, no, no, that comic came out like a month ago. We're good. But mm -hmm. anyway, <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I hate this rendition of like the Kitty Ogan thing. I just have nothing positive to say about it. But uh, so yeah, Andrew, I mean, do you want to do you want to sound off on this version of the Kitty Ogan thing? I mean, I, I can do this kind of briefly. I think the Kitty Pride story with Ogan originally is about Kitty finding power and agency. This of her just being frightfully randomly possessed taking away her power turn on her relationship all that kind of stuff i don't know I, it feels like walking that back in a way that seems kind of counterproductive um, that, that's my main complaint i don't have a huge problem with it i think ogan is a villain who i expected to return sooner than he did so i don't know it just feels kind of wasted i just really don't like how this is using the kitty ogan thing to give pete a big hero moment and yeah, like kitty has zero agency in terms of fighting Ogan whereas when she was like a 13 year old girl she was strong she, enough yeah. to resist that influence on her own mm -hmm. it's the full crux of that miniseries mm -hmm. yeah and like now like Pete tries to kill her twice in this issue it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it is disturbing disturbing <laughs> and like it's all about him and it's like nothing about her and it's not even like a commentary on their relationship I just I don't have I didn't have anything for this one other than like it was weird and I almost don't want to complain about it in depth because I just don't think it makes a lot of sense although I really hate the way it's just using Kitty being possessed to 
build up Pete and like build up Pete's badassness in particular, and then demonstrating that badassness with his willingness to murder his girlfriend twice. I think I might disagree with you on it. The this uh, event not illustrating the relationship at all. I think it actually does go for it. Illustrate the relationship just in a very kind of uh, in a more of a showing your ass kind of uh, manner than a mm. an in depth look. Yeah, I guess I'm willing to like. I'm willing to agree that it's a commentary on their relationship if it's sort of like a commentary on the darkness of their relationship. And maybe like Kitty is like up to the challenge of that darkness because of this sort of experience that she's had. But I just I still wish that we gotten something about her interaction with Ogan, like something of her perspective 100%. here, like other than is that that's what really I found troubling about it. I mean, <laughs> I also made a list of people who Kurt and knows who can teleport. Doc Strange, Gateway, Lila Shaney, <laughs> the Shi'ar. Who could, he, wait, wait, does place, he know Gateway? He uh, well, no, he doesn't, but Peter does. Okay, fair enough. I'm uh, on board. Colossus knows P- Gateway. So there are ways that they can teleport across the planet and get out of Hong Kong. But what they don't know is about the Ogun and Wolverine and Kitty thing. And in fact, Kurt points out in this storyline that I don't know what happened in the Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries from, like, <laughs> at this point, 15 years ago. I don't know what happened in that series, but I have a sneaky suspicion that this thing that I don't know about might be involved. <laughs> what the actual hell? That's my problem with, again, like like I said, the, the logic of them being in Hong Kong plays into a lot here. Ogan, there's no money to be made by mining the Kitty Pride and Wolverine. That was literally... Um, this is 1997. That was 1984, I think. I think so. So, like, it's been 13 years of publication time. No one except for hardcore geeks remember it. And if you're a hardcore geek, you don't like this because what is this? I don't think it says interesting things about Wisdom and Kitty's relationship because I don't buy that he was going to kill her. And I don't not buy that he... I mean, what I know about Pete Wisdom is that he's too wussy about killing in order to be a spy. But, yeah. like, I don't know if Ben Robb knows that. So I don't know why he wants to kill her here. Oh, well, I'm not going to let her be possessed. Well, you know... Psylocke, you know, lots of people who can like, you know, maybe unpossess a possessed person. What are you doing here? <laughs> like that, that, that was my problem with it. What, what is this? Yeah, I think, I think the art could have just done a better job of selling sort of the indecision of the like, oh, I would murder her thing like right at the end, but just the throwing the hot knives at her just right off the top, I think was the most disruptive thing for me. Cause I was just like, like as soon as Kitty's not acting normally, you just try to kill her. It's weird. It's, and I get that he knows that she can phase, but she's also clearly not acting like herself. So how does he know that her powers are going to work? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think um, you've got some hot matter. knives. These are hot knives. Who talks I like know. that? Crocodile well, she Dundee. didn't call them hot knives. He makes a crocodile Dundee joke while trying to kill his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah I guess. It's, it's, it's totally odd. But um, anyway, let's go to some final thoughts. Um, I'm sure we've all got some we want to circle back to, and I'll start with you, Andrew. Anything from this comic that you wanna that you want to circle back to or bring up before we wrap up the convo? Uh, just because I'm keeping score, Megan has a new superpower again. She gets to be Dazzler this time. She's yes. a flashlight. I know. I, know. <laughs> I noticed that too, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. It's been a while. It's, it's been a, long a while. Time. Remember those muscles that she used to use all the time? Where did those go? Yep. No, no. good Dazzler powers now. Anyway, um, Mav, uh, anything you want to circle back to? So 
1997, it cost about $575 to fly from um, from Scotland to Hong Kong or, or <laughs> one one way in either direction. $575 American. It's about $1,100 to $1,200 in 2023 dollars, if you're wondering where it is. People that, that Kurt and Katie know that they could borrow, you know, 575 bucks from within a week's time, you know, maybe if they had it Western Union, they could have called Wolverine. They could have called Hank, Hank McCoy. Again, they're friends with Brian. Why doesn't Megan have access to any of these bank accounts? They live with Moira McTaggart. She has a jet. These are things that they could have done rather than call Rory, their homicidal scientist friend who they don't trust because he might be, you know, murderous, homicidal into Munich kind in the future, which they know, and who has somehow taken to wearing a superhero suit casually? Why is Rory very, in spandex? A very villainous. A very villainous, very villainous. Look, I'm wearing my Ahab outfit, you know, just around. What is he doing? I don't understand what this is here for other than to remind, hey, Rory's out there and he wears spandex now. He's cut for a scientist who <laughs> is missing a leg. Dude's dude, you know, like look at those apps. What is going on here? And then we're like led to believe that, hey, you remember Rory Campbell? Rory Campbell, the ladies' man. You remember how Kitty and and Rain both had crushes on Rory Campbell? Couldn't wait to hug him. Walks around, you know, uh, like like, oh, stud muffin, Rory Campbell. Love that guy. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) That was my final thought. What I would like is that it's so there's so much potential to recolor this costume he's wearing. Like it's got the light purple up top. That should just be skin. This should be like a like a push up bra kind of bustier top, and that would really Ooh. kick this co- this costume up a notch. Do you think it has so like push up? Like. Do you think it has like push up abs, like sculpted abs, like like the Maybe. '90s superhero costumes on TV? So like Maybe. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like um the Flash's costume from the 1990s uh, Flash television show or mm. Batman, you know, like where you where you sculpt on abs and you know if you're Joel Schumacher nipples, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, I was gonna say Rory Campbell needs the bat nipples. I think that's what we all know is missing. <laughs> it would be better. It would be better. Yeah, Kurt is also missing nipples in one of the images that I wanted to spotlight. Um, which is that upside down semi splash page, which I stared at this a lot, trying to figure out, as usual, the mechanics of Kurt's costume. I really appreciated this choice to depict the costume in this way so that we really get the full impression of exactly how naked he is in this costume. Because if you were wondering whether he's wearing a shirt, he's definitely not, despite his missing nipples. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't understand where that scarf is attached. It's like he's just got like a button that like sticks out of his chest that has a scarf attached to it. Anyway, I appreciated the effort. It was a dynamic little semi-splash page and i also we haven't done a kurt wagner fashion watch for a while but in addition to his costume i did want to make note of his orange three-piece suit at the conclusion of this comic horrible outfit hate every part of it also love it as a character choice for kurt (laughs) i think he's so handsome in this unironically i think it's great I appreciate that and I I love that for him. I will say he's looking very 1997 and mm-hmm. that's perfect. I do love that he got in on the shopping trip as well. He looks ready to go clubbing in Germany. So despite the fact that I don't personally like the orange suit in terms of 2023 eyes, really loved this this 
visual and narrative choice within the context of this comic. And thank you for standing up for him, Chapman. Kenny um, and Piotr but... are, all, are horrible friends. He should never speak to them ever again. Yes, that too. <laughs> it, that too. It's been it's been like three weeks of his time because they've been trapped in they've been trapped in Hong Kong for a week and it had been at least two weeks that she left before now also kurt's apparently a horrible boyfriend because he hasn't noticed that he hasn't talked to amanda in nearly a month yeah that too <laughs> but like but, you know they had that kind of open relationship sure. kind of thing i mean you know whatever uh anyway yeah. anyway chapman we'll come back to you for the final word on it anything that you would like to circle back to or get into a little bit more that we haven't had enough of a chance to talk about yeah um there was one thing so i was i was in all of my prep for this issue i went back and decided to go back and rewatch the the podcast famous uh the defenders season one episode four because i know that uh this this one takes place in a in a restaurant that oh, happens to be chinese yeah. because we're in hong kong and of course we have the defenders happen in, in a chinese restaurant in new york so i kind of wanted to compare and contrast i know it's kind of uh it's it's a little bit of the comparison that people like to make of a hydrogen bomb versus screaming baby in terms <laughs> of sounds and decibels but uh i do think that there is Something very simple that the Defenders episode, which I, I agree is is a fantastic episode, Thank you. Um, that it's it's <laughs> so it's such a simple fix that puts it above this issue, and it's it's not even pacing, which obviously we've talked about, but it's that everyone in that Defenders episode exclusively pursues their want. It's it's kind of an acting thing. It's it's you know it's an idea that's in a lot of different uh, modern acting techniques. But the concept of you can't just play a scene with an emotion. You've got to have some sort of objective as a character, something you want from the other person, something you want from the environment that leads you to then make strong choices and strong kind of active choices so that the scene isn't just two people being sad at each other. Um, or in this case, uh, a restaurant sequence in which people are just kind of talking generally about where Amanda is. And I think that's it's 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 frustrating because there are very clear wants that could be used by these characters. You have, like we talked about, um, Nightcrawler in this dark place. You have Colossus coming off of uh, being an acolyte and really kind of being uh, having the short stick with everyone's patience. Uh, you've got... Megan, who could kind of play up the the drama of it all, knowing that she loves these kind of scenes and sequences, she could really be kind of poking for for understanding why uh, Amanda left. You've you've got all these different options, and then on top of it, like we said, you could throw in Kitty with Ogan and have this whole uh, other layer to it. And instead, once again, like like we talked about, we just kind of get that ball drops. So I, I it's it's not a it's not a difficult thing to kind of go for, but yeah. it's just something that didn't quite get achieved in this issue this time around. So what you gonna do? Yeah. What you gonna do? I think that's a really interesting angle to approach it from sort of that actor lens. And yeah, I, I really like the way that you put it. Um it's a better story could have been done in Edinburgh yeah. <laughs> or Glasgow. Yeah. Or there's no reason to be in Hong Kong. <laughs> we could have had Silver Samurai come here so because he's in kind of uh, better he's in charge of the uh, Yoshida estate and he's in kind of good uh standing with wolverine so he could have swung by and put a little air to the different things we didn't need sebastian shaw here so <laughs> we're not here i guess there are many things that we could have done um the letter that i'm gonna spotlight just very briefly uh <laughs> references some might have been's as well i'm just gonna read part of this letter from sue 
Penkevich, I believe. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing your name correctly, Sue. I apologize. So part of Sue's letter reads, Please resolve the situation of the lost Excalibur characters. Kylan's search for his parents is reminiscent of Karma's search for her siblings. The never-ending quest that happens behind the scenes. Let Micromax pop up in Thunderbolts or something, assuming he got his job in the States. And poor Farron. <laughs> Apparently, he's still hanging around the gardens of Braddock Manor. Has someone at least sent him some convenience food and instructions on how to use the microwave? So no. until it's discovered that Moira's coffee is the cure for the legacy virus and people have to decide if the cure is worse than the, than the disease, make mine marvel. That was a good joke, Sue. I liked that. And I did want to highlight the editorial response as well, which is really funny. Well, folks, hope you don't mind that we let this letter speak for itself. We've only got a single page this issue to answer your letters. That's all that they had to say about that. <laughs> Baller move, just, editors. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Farron died on the way back to his home planet. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I was not born to live a man's life, but to be the stuff of future memory. The fellowship was a brief beginning, a fair time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten, that fair time may come again. All right, we will wrap things up there other than to thank our wonderful guests for joining us. And uh, so, yeah, thank you again, Chapman. Loved hearing your insights and your and your unique perspective on this issue. Before we go, if you would like folks to find you online, you're more than welcome to wreck your social media handles or any other projects that you would like folks to check out. Anything you want to wrap, the floor is yours. Yeah, um, I am on Twitter as it kind of dies out and will soon be on Blue Sky at at Chapman C. Blake. Hopefully I get that handle over there. And uh, for Instagram and threads, I don't really use much of them very much, but it is Chapman underscore Carter. Uh, and if you've got any openings on your your podcasts or other, other media for conversations about X-Men or comics or acting or tabletop role-playing games, or or if you'd just like to chat about those things in general, uh, you can reach me at any of those, and I'm, I'm always down to, to have a little conversation. Uh, currently, X-Men is going to be up till 1997, but anything before then, I'm down to chat. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, the uh, glory years. <laughs> And uh, if you are a comic scholar and you've got any advice for someone looking to enter the field, uh, please let me know. I'd love to. I'd love to uh, pick your brain about kind of what the the field is like for you. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's it's been completely surreal to be on this half of the conversation. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been delightful. Thank you so much again. So next, Pete and Kurt get clubby, Rain and Douglock get cozy, and Piotr and Megan get chilly, and Excalibur number 112, Survival. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the pod wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fab YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter, slash X, whatever, at goshgollywow. We're also on Blue Sky, same handle, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Mav and Andrew, for another sharp convo. Thank you, Chapman, for possessing this issue with us. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Mike's Million of Thought Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. Play us out.